Today we're going to be looking at the third and fourth trumpets and, and subsequent angels blowing those trumpets. Several weeks ago, Kirk mentioned that there were a few ways of looking at how all of these things going back in the book of Revelation were taking place. I myself believe that they are sequential. As I understand his thinking, the, the events in Revelation would not necessarily be taking place all at one time or as, let's say, all the seals happening at one time and then maybe a little break in between and then the trumpets all uh, sound. We talked about the riders and the horses again a couple of chapters back from, from the white to the red to the black to the pale. Looking at those alone make me think that this would probably be happening in more of an orderly fashion as we might know them and recognize them. On the other hand, how many times have I told you all that this is my guess and mine alone? There's no real way of knowing what all of this is going to look like until that time comes. And once we're in the midst of it all, maybe, maybe we'll be here. Maybe we won't. Maybe it's been happening all along. Maybe it hadn't. I can only speculate. Now, others seem to be a bit more certain that once X happened, then Y is sure to immediately follow. Many have thought that over a vast span of time. So far, as far as I can see, they've been wrong. I will again put it out there as we start this sermon. We know two things for sure. Jesus is returning, but we don't know when. So we better be ready. Now, he gave us all kinds of hints while he was here on earth, right? Then told us, even at that time, he didn't even know what, time, what day that would be, that everything would be taking place. Only God the Father knew all of that. I do believe, though, that that information has now been shared with God the Son, and he now knows as well. The other thing we need to remember, know, take to the bank, but be ready to do, is to help others to understand that we had all better be ready when that day comes. Will it be too late after that? I can't and I won't be so bold as to even make a guess. However... Why take the risk? We're looking at the third and fourth trumpets today as we see it. Let's, let's break it down a little bit here, shall we? Third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. The star fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of water all over the world. This star had a name. It was Wormwood. This, is, as, as I see it, poisoned a third of the available water supply on the planet. Now, as you can imagine, this must have devastated not only the people and those drinking the water, but the fish, which would all be destroyed. It would destroy a large supply of food for many. The fourth angel with the trumpet took out a third of the sun's light, the moon's light, the stars and their light. Are you seeing a pattern here? Everything kind of shutting down? Darkness was spreading across the land by 33%. Now, tell me, with less light, what do we have less of? Hadn't been destroyed already? Plants won't grow as well or as strongly. Energy production would decrease drastically. And here again, that is if any of this is going to be able to get still produced at all. 
Forget solar energy. I don't think the sun's going to be out long enough to be able to, to really get anything like that started on an average day. All sounds pretty bad so far, doesn't it? It's about to get worse. Look at the 13th verse. An eagle is flying, and to all who hear it, they're hearing it say, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth right now. Because there are three other angels and three other trumpets about to blast. As if the first four weren't bad enough. No siree, those last three are going to put things over the edge. Imagine yourself in this position. Imagine hearing that eagle. Imagine hearing yourself, maybe your friends, maybe even your family, or a part of them all, at least. Imagine hearing the sounds that we have heard in the Scriptures until this day we thought to be fantasy. And then it all starts coming to pass. You know, the thing that gets me is if God has not totally destroyed all of mankind yet, and it's evident here in this passage today that he has not, in my mind at least, what in the world would make them remain so hard-hearted? How in the world could they not see that what the Scripture said were A, true, and B, coming to pass right that very minute? How could they get past? How could they get past anybody? I mean, it looks to me like if nothing else, it would be like whacking you in the back of the head and say, think a minute. And it comes to them and they change, but they don't. How could it get past anybody? Or, or maybe that's the point. Those words aren't meant to get past anyone. Romans 9.18 says, God will have mercy on anyone he so chooses. That's all I'm going to say about that. Is it something that I can understand here, why all of this is taking place the way it is and and people are not responding? Maybe, but maybe not. We go back to the martyrs who were asking in Revelation 6, 9, and 10, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then I refer you back to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where we're told in no uncertain terms, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, I think we're being told right there we need to stay in our lane and stay out of God's way. The Lord God can and will work all of this stuff out for himself. He does not need our help. Verses 10 and 11 of our reading this morning talks about a large star named Wormwood falling from the heavens and landed on one-third of the waters of the world. Notice here in verse 11, this star had a name, Wormwood, capital W, Wormwood. Now, what differentiates that title and the substance wormwood, small w? One commentary I used said that the capital W wormwood was Satan, the star that fell from heaven. If it's Satan who comes down and poisons one-third of the water, part of the thinking here is Revelation 12.12 then. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So it would make some sense there, wouldn't it? From there, quite honestly, this passage gets a, a tiny bit wonky, okay? Wonky's a, a theological word, all right? I, I think probably, uh, Kim and I went to different seminaries, but I, I would imagine wonky ended up in the same books, yeah. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> anyway, some think that some major empire was destroyed. Some believe a major leader was killed. On the other hand, another stated that the plant Wormwood Capital W is a part of a plant class called Artemisia, A-R-T-E-M-I-S-I-A, for those interested. This leads us to consider it having a medicinal use to kill intestinal worms of all things, okay? So if you're still on earth and this is truly the wormwood here, you don't have to worry about intestinal worms, okay? Got a little bit of a bad advantage here. I'm being facetious. This leads us to consider it having a medicinal use, as I said. But I read in one place, and this makes sense, I think, that it's a perennial herb used to manufacture absinthe, A-B-S-I-N-T-H-E, which is used in uh, France as a beverage, okay? Now, it can be more intoxicating and uh, destructive to the human body than ordinary liquors used here in the United States. It's not necessarily poisonous in the sense of being fatal, but it is harmful. It is, if taken enough of, considered to be a hallucinogen. One other commentary, if I may, Wormwood in Vincent's word studies in the New Testament state that Wormwood was used in these ways. Number one, idolatry. In uh, Israel, Deuteronomy 29, 18. Number two, calamity and sorrow, Jeremiah 9, 15 and 23, 15. And also Lamentations 1, 15 and 19. And in third, false judgment, Amos 5, 7. So again, as we have stated previously, we can take this star falling as factual or as symbolic, okay? But how about the water? real or not? Is it poisoned or not? Now, think about that just a second. Poisoning the system, okay? Poisoning the body, not necessarily to make it sick or to make it be fatal, okay? But you think about alcoholism. Think about people uh, drinking an excessive amount of alcohol. What is that doing? It's poisoning the system, is it not? It's killing the system, but it's doing it slowly. So this could be two different things that we're talking about here with the same end result. What I'm seeing here is that wormwood will not necessarily poison water, but be a byproduct if it can create a chemical imbalance that in the long term will be quite harmful. Think of it as a hallucinogen. What's it doing? Stomping brain cells. So, I mean, everything that this, that this wormwood, this, this absinthe or whatever you want, you know, however it's being put here, it, it's all creating destruction within the body, slowly killing it if you want to look at it from that respect. What will all this look like? As usual, cannot say. 
But suffice it to say that however water is made to be unusable, that's not going to be a good thing. Now, consider the simple practicality of water. The many uses that we have for it. The fact that we can't live long without water. The side effects of not having 33% of the water in the world that can no longer be used. How much more pressure will that put on a world that is slowly but surely, maybe even quickly but certainly, falling apart? Exodus 7, 20 and 21. Moses smote the water. You see what happened there? The water turned to blood. And the fish all died. Look at last week. The the seas turned to uh, to blood in verse 8. There goes a huge part of whatever food source for many inhabitants of this planet Earth was remaining. We have to assume that the same will happen to many of the fish that are left in the sea ahead. That is, if there is any fish left in the sea by this time. Remember now, we've already lost some of the seas and all before. So this is having a downward effect all the way around. Will this be a deterrent to the world and and for its many or few inhabitants left? Certainly the way I'm reading it, it will. Can you see how the squeeze is being put tighter and tighter on any and all who are left. Of course it is. It should be obvious here. So let's look at verses 12 and 13 for a couple of minutes. We're seeing more and more devastation on the earth with things that man can immediately need or have on hand being removed from them. Verses 12 and 13 will have a devastating effect as well. Don't get me wrong here. We're seeing here that the life force for plant life, perhaps a certain amount of of electrical power production, will have an immediate impact, a reduction of all of that. The moon and the stars will have pronounced effect on growth in plant life and so on. However, darkness will be darkness. Now, as I read this in one way, anyway, it looks like one-third of the brightness of each will go away. And yet, looking at it another way... Eight hours a day will be in pitch darkness. Eight hours a night will be in pitch blackness. Taken into consideration, the production of power will be reduced. It is possible more darkness could be on the face of the earth than we might realize. We see very similar words in Matthew 24, 29. In fact, if you look at Jesus' words in Matthew, we might see some variation in what we see in Revelation concerning the tribulation's time element. However, I see this talking about all of the devastation that has occurred up till now as part and parcel of the tribulation of what is left here on earth. In fact, if you look at Jesus' words again in here in verse 30, it kind of sounds like we might be here the whole time. <laughs> now, how's that for scrambling things up a bit? And yet... We'll get into this much later in the year, but if you look at Revelation 19, it could be alluded to here as well, in my mind at least. I don't want to confuse you any more than I'm already confusing. Most people think we're going to be gone then. Fine. Going back to the power shortage, to give you some parallel here. Take last summer, I believe it was, maybe even in the fall. There was a brownout in L.A., I think, with other major cities threatening to do the same thing. Why? 
because there was more power being used than was being produced. With more and more people here in the United States alone, this could be more and more of a recurring theme as time goes on. I'm not even getting into electric cars and stuff. Don't get me started on that one. With one-third, eight hours a day of no sunlight at all anywhere, imagine the burden that will be put on power stations of all kinds then. Not sure we can imagine that, quite honestly. Not sure if we can measure the devastating effect that might take place. But when it does take place, even though there has been piece of evidence upon piece of evidence stacked on each other up to this point that the end is imminent, let's just look at one verse of Scripture in the very first book of the Bible, at a time when God had already destroyed most of mankind. All that was left was Noah and his family at this particular time. But there is a promise in Genesis 8.22. God tells us this, While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. Okay? In other words, the show's going to go on whether you're ready for it or not. What does Genesis 8.22 then say, how it can apply to our reading in Revelation today? Look out, the end is near but it's going to be business as usual until then. Those things will, those needs will not change. They will continue to be each and every day. So the, the, the desire, the, the need for that power, for that electricity, for, for whatever that case may be, it's going to continue each and every day. It's just going to be harder and harder and harder each day to fulfill those needs. One more thought on verse 12. With the darkness comes one of the things that plant life so desperately needs for continual growth. Of course, one-third of the water has been tainted and it's no longer good for plant growth. But if you don't have the sun, plant life is simply going to die off, furthering a loss of food and other applicable uses of plants. That includes trees and all as well. But there's more. Look at Amos 5.20. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? What generally happens when it's dark? What do we think of when, when, when it's dark? I'll give you a hint. Look at John 3, 19 and 20. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. You see, in some sick, twisted way, many are going to rejoice over this darkness because they will be free to do more evil. Wickedness compounding itself. And the hits just keep on coming. I guess we can say that evil will keep on doing its evil even when the evidence of the end is coming is right there before them. And we're going to get into that in a few more chapters as well. Lastly, verse 13. Again, I say if this all hadn't been bad enough, then there's this eagle flying around and looking out for the last three trumpets. If you think it's been bad so far, he's kind of saying in a way, you ain't seen nothing yet. Again, I say, 
Put yourself in the shoes of those who were still left on earth. Food and water are already scarce. Evil is abounding in the darkness. Power is less and less, meaning heating or air conditioning is less and less. Plant life is dying off. Yet there are still so very many hard-hearted people roaming the earth, blaming any and everyone for their problems. God's making his presence more and more known by being less and less available, if that makes sense. What they're not seeing or admitting is that God, so far, as crazy as this next statement might sound, has been quite merciful to them so far. Merciful? How, you might ask. Why, you might ask. Because, you see, he's only destroyed partials. He has not destroyed completes. I mean, here you are on one side, hearing from those who have been martyred. How long, O Lord, before you avenge us and all of those yet to be martyred? And they're told what? Patience. Be patient. On the other side, you look at those on earth whose heart is more hardened than ever before, and you think, why wait? Just go ahead and end it right now. These folks aren't going to change. Why waste the time? Just pull the plug. And yet God is showing more patience than we could ever dream imaginable. The word woe is a prophetic word of a coming judgment of God. It's also a word bringing to mind grief or a denunciation. I think perhaps grief here is is still, and I think it's been best proven by God's willingness to be patient. It's in grief that he will do what he has to do, and that is denounce sin one final time and bring down the final curtain on mankind. For those who don't or can't believe in a loving, gracious, heavenly Father, this would have to change your thinking, surely. But then again, maybe not. I think that each woe is the next trumpet. And we won't even, we're not even going to turn a page and hint as to what that's going to look like. We'll wait till next week on that. Suffice it to say, though, that it's going to be terrible. Suffice it to say that we better get the word out now. Will we be successful with all we come in contact with? Sadly, no. And yet there's always that chance. There's always that next moment. There's always that next more, one more event that might change the thinking of one person. Sound familiar? I believe that that is why God has waited for so long. For you see, He knows the heart so much better than we ever could. And while God knows every heart, we don't. And while God knows what will happen in the days ahead for that person, we don't. We can't. And so it's up to us to tell a lost and dying world that they are one day closer to not being able to respond to Christ's invitation to accept him and be a part of his family forever. Not so much to escape the punishment eternally awaiting each person who refuses Christ's invitation, but to have the promise of a home so far greater than we could ever imagine here. 
Have you noticed how the book of Revelation is written or at least arranged? If you had to do it in outline form, what that might look like. We get a glimpse of heaven right off the bat. We see the admonition to the local church and then we get the terrible turmoil that will take place not locally but globally. We see how many will regret that they didn't accept the invitation to come to Jesus. However, I'd like to think that some do. I'd like to think most would. And yet after all of this worldly turmoil that takes place over time, some say seven years, others say less, some say still more, I just know that at some point it is all going to come to an end. But when it does, those glimpses of heaven that we got back in early revelation, they're going to be ours. They're going to be yours, and they're going to be mine. Even better is that it is going to be far greater than we could ever dream possible. And folks, that's what we have to impress on the world. That's our job. That they too can have a part of all that we have. That's our task. To share that good news. My question to you this morning in closing. Are you ready? Let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, These lessons become more harsh each and every week. And yet, we have to hear them. We as your sons and daughters, your children... We have to hear these things. We have to take them to heart. Not for ourselves so much. Not so that we can hoard the view of what heaven is going to be like. But that we can share that there is a way to avoid all the pain and the heartache that is going to come. It's going to come because you've promised it. So Lord, would you help us to that end? to look with a a more positive eye to all of this. Yes, we know that there are going to be some that just will not accept your Son as Savior. We understand that. In fact, we may get glimpses of it each and every day. And yet, don't let that deter us from sharing the good news. Bless us to that end. We ask and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Oh, I hope that thing's been on.